My name is Liz Briggson, and I want to welcome you to the Encorsa podcast. Encorsa is dedicated to providing industry-leading education to dynamic accounting and finance professionals all over the world. On today's episode, John Lockhorst joins me as a guest on the show. John Lockhorst is the founder of Lockhorst Consulting, LLC, soon to be your best leadership. He is a leadership coach, corporate trainer, keynote speaker, and author. John strives to develop leaders everyone wants to follow, build teams no one wants to leave, and deliver exceptional results. I hope you enjoy listening to my conversation with John and you find encouragement to help you grow in your leadership journey. This episode is eligible for CPE credit through Encourse's on-demand self-study platform. Visit the link in the show notes if you would like to earn CPE credit for today's program. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to today's Encorsa podcast. I am thrilled to be joined by John Lockhorst, founder of Lockhorst Consulting. John and I go back all the way back to 2017. We met through LinkedIn networking when I had joined Encorsa. And John, I think we have so much in common in terms of wanting to help accounting and finance professionals experience fulfilling careers. And we both know leadership is a really strong component of that equation. And I know you wrote the book, Mission Critical Leadership. And so that's something I'm so excited to have you here to dive into and to talk about the concepts in the book today. So as we get started, do you want to go ahead and start by sharing your personal career story and why the whole concept of leadership was so important for you to found a firm on this and to write a book and you've spoken on Encorsa more than dozens and dozens of times. You have more than 20 unique concepts. So clearly this is a, a area you're so passionate about and so, so deep in. So tell us about your, your background and what brought you here. Yeah, Liz, and thank you for the invitation to join in this conversation. Cause I always find that uh, we have a good conversation. There's uh, ideas that we can share back and forth. And I, know that that'll be the case here today. Uh, as you know, I've had this winding, jagged career path that is uh, pretty remarkable now as I look in the rearview mirror. I started out in public accounting, spent 18 years in that career, same firm all 18 years. I joined it right out of college, eventually became a partner and then the managing partner in that firm. After that, I made a transition into the nonprofit world my first stop there was as a CFO, Chief Financial Officer, for a very rapidly growing, entrepreneurial, innovative nonprofit that was uh, on a growth curve that was almost straight up. And when they hired me, they said, John, we need somebody from a business background to come in and create some order out of chaos. And that was an absolute blast and spent six years in that role before shifting into a different kind of CFO role. I was the chief fundraising officer for camps and conference centers for most of the rest of that nonprofit career. The common thread through all of that, and even going back to before I joined the workplace, in fact, I can trace back into my middle school and high school years, this interest in leadership, really watching, observing, and studying, and understanding what is leadership all about and what is the impact when you have strong, effective leadership versus not so good leadership. 
and we can all see plenty of examples. Sometimes the, the examples of bad leadership stand out more so than others. But what I found throughout my career when I was working in public accounting, when I was working in the nonprofit sectors, that I was always focusing in on the leadership side and the organizational side, what makes some leaders really effective and the, the kind of leader that everybody wants to follow, what makes some teams really hum and thrive and grow. And of course, that translates into some significant business results on the organizational side. So that was, uh, it made it really natural for me in 2016 to shift out of my last day job, as I often refer to it, and start my own business focused on leadership development. And as you said, the business name has been Lockhorse Consulting. And uh, very soon, we're going to be in a rebranding mode, and the uh, name will shift to Your Best Leadership to really reflect what it is that I'm after, you know, trying to help individual leaders get to their best leadership. And then of course, on the organizational side, what can you do to develop your best leadership within the organization? So it's been this fun winding career path. And while I didn't necessarily understand every stop along the way as it was happening, I can look back now and say, okay, it makes sense. And it all has contributed to where I am today. Absolutely. Well, that's so neat to hear that as we have our listeners coming to us and coming to the podcast from all over, from different stages of their career and different roles that they're in, just to hear the different areas that you've spent your time over your career. And then it's all really culminated to you, as you mentioned, creating order out of chaos. And now you're helping accounting professionals and finance professionals and even professionals in other industries like healthcare create order out of chaos. And that shift that you have, right, coming from 2016, you're coming up on um, how many years now? So that's seven, eight years. And now stepping into that next phase of what you're doing to look at emphasizing your best leadership. And I know legacy is one of your values that you hold really close. So I imagine that that, um, that brand rebranding you have kind of fits really well with the legacy impact that you have. Yeah, absolutely. That's a big part of it. So as you think back over your career, there's some some points in everyone's career that are certainly highlights. And there's some points in careers that they're the, the, the places that we earn our stripes. And in the moment, they can be, they feel like struggles or battles or challenges. But then looking back, it provides much more depth and context and empathy. So what are some of those significant experiences that you might want to share, both good and challenging, that really you find you're leaning on a lot in your coaching? When you first started down the road of that question, uh, right away what was coming to mind for me were a lot of the positive experiences. And then you threw in the <laughs> other side of that, where we earn <laughs> we our strength. So uh, Liz, thanks for reminding me that uh, some of those significant experiences aren't necessarily the ones that you'd want to relive, but I, I would go back and start on the positive side. And yeah. really, since, since we're talking largely to accounting and finance leaders, uh, focusing more on that side of it, yeah. I would say one of the most significant experiences that came very early on, and I would say any of the early career workers that we have, or those who work with early career workers, one significant experience for me was that soon after I passed the CPA exam, got licensed, I joined the Minnesota Society of CPAs. I'm from the 
Minneapolis, St. Paul area. I've spent most of my life in this area. And so early on, I joined the, the state society, got involved as a volunteer in different committees, and that really set the tone. I think that that, as much as anything else, accelerated my career path because I was getting exposure as a 20-something-year-old to people who had been around a lot longer, that had a lot more uh, experience and a lot more knowledge. And I just gained so much from that. And then, you know, the networking part of that, people that I'm still connected with today that I served with on committees going back into, say, the 1980s and the 1990s. I realize that's dating me a little bit on that, but that was a significant experience. And so I'm always encouraging early career workers who've got their CPA, join your state CPA society. If you're not a CPA, you've got other professional associations that you can look at. Get involved there because there's so much for you to learn, so much for you to gain. And I think that just jump-started my career in ways that uh, I, I couldn't have imagined at that time. Another pivotal experience that ties into this leadership concept was that as I got into about my fourth or fifth year in public accounting, I started to get a little antsy. It okay. was at that yeah. point in my career that I started to get those calls from headhunters and recruiters. I was working in a, a small local firm. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed my work. I enjoyed my then boss and loved working for him. But I started to wonder, okay, what's my future? What's my career here? And it became very tempting to take those headhunter calls. And I did. And I started to see some opportunities. And thankfully, before I went too far down that path, I got some advice from a mentor who suggested that I go to my then boss to more specifically ask questions about my future trajectory. You know, we talk a lot about career path conversations, and, and I spend a lot of time with leaders in coaching and training, helping to set those conversations up. And, you know, the, the role that you play as a leader and the importance, especially now with the labor shortage that we have, of getting dialed in and having those one-on-one -on -one conversations. And, and that's certainly crucial from a leadership standpoint, one aspect of that, though, Liz, that I think is overlooked is the responsibility on the side of the worker, especially that early career worker, to step out on your own, to self, to bring self-leadership into that conversation and to seek to develop yourself and to seek your own career path. And the conversation that I had with my then boss was pivotal to me, just a couple of years later, becoming a partner in the firm, what I found out was that he was really looking to me to be that future leader. And that's how I eventually became the managing partner some years later. And so I look at that as, uh, you know, it was just a huge learning experience of advocating for myself, getting clear on what I wanted, the desires that I had, my goals, and being able to articulate that and not just going in, you know, empty handed to a conversation like that but being prepared to say, here's what I'm willing to do. Here's how I'm investing in myself. Here's how I'm developing myself. Because I think there is a tendency at times for early career, career workers to just sit back and wait for their leader, for their boss, for their organization to spoon feed them a lot of that. And you know, one of the sayings that uh, comes out of the book is, don't wait on others to develop you. You've got to develop yourself. You know, Be proactive in, in doing that. So, 
So I think that was a pivotal moment. That was a significant experience. Uh, another one that has a lot to do with where I am today was I've always had this interest in teaching and training. And after one of the continuing education courses that I attended, I believe that it was a tax course. It was with a guy by the name of Andy Beeble, who was a legend in tax CPE. Uh, I approached him after the session and I said, you know, Andy, I'm interested in teaching. I'm thinking about, you know, perhaps, you know, working with a community college where I could teach accounting. And he said, no, John, he said, you know, you could certainly go down that path. But my suggestion is to do continuing education for CPAs. Uh, and, you know, he made some connections for me and I've later taught some of the courses that he and his partner had been developing. And just that encouragement that he gave me, that opening my eyes, opening that door to another possibility. And so even during my public accounting career, I was teaching continuing education. I was developing relationships with state societies. So it was very natural for me to come back later as I started this leadership development business to say, hey, I understand you know, how this all works. I'm just coming from a different role, a different perspective on the leadership side. And so uh, you know, just another fun aspect of that is I've got so many strong, viable partnerships with state CPA associations, teaching at conferences and doing leadership programs. And so I would say those are all positive. Since yes. you brought up those moments where we have to earn our stripes, yes. I would just uh, share there that I had one stop in my nonprofit career where we had a lot of challenging staff dynamics. And that was not my best season of leadership. I can look back now and I can see several points where I just dropped the ball or I failed to step up as a leader and to have difficult conversations, to address conflict, to address some of the, the, the disconnect that we had in that team. And honestly, Liz, I'll just be transparent. I saw that team starting to unravel before my very eyes. And so it was, uh, it was a short stint in my career. And I look back on it now as uh, much as there was a lot of pain in, the, in those days, I can see that I learned a lot that I can bring into the work that I'm doing today. So as much as I didn't really wanna go there, Liz, I think it was helpful for you to Help me retrace yes. my steps. Well, I do appreciate you going there because as you are talking with hundreds of leaders and your coaching teams and you're speaking, the empathy that you have gained from walking in the shoes of a leader that has a team that is struggling, that is really meaningful because you can connect. There are a lot of teams that are facing challenges. We've had a lot of disruption to the workplace as we know it. And for you to be able to meet with a leader in that spot and say, I've been there and I have dedicated decades to learning the best practices to help that team get back on the tracks, that is, that's really significant. So I appreciate you kind of sharing that element as well of those significant experiences. And as you highlighted the positives, a key theme that really stuck out to me is you initiated, you took the action, you took the action to join the Minnesota Society of CPAs to become a volunteer. You initiated the conversation with your boss at the accounting firm to say, hey, what does the future look like? And you initiated the conversation with the CPE instructor who you were 
admiring and wanting to learn how to engage with the accounting profession from an education standpoint. And so those are all things where you were proactive, you took action, you initiated the conversation, and that opened those doors for the significant experiences that have really positively shaped where you are today. So thank you for sharing that. And I think that's a great segue to dive into the concept of mission critical leadership that you wrote about in your book, where you talk about the four directions of leadership. And one of them is self-leadership. And you provided that perfect example of you're at that four to five year point in your career. Many of us have been there where people start knocking out the door. And sometimes the grass is greener because those headhunters, they have that energy and the investment to bring someone onto their team in a way that oftentimes a current organization is just, they're like, well, you're here, we're doing what we're doing. I know it's in my mind for you, but they forget that, you know, you didn't know what was in their mind for you. So you initiated the conversation instead of getting wooed away by someone else who was initiating the conversation. So can we talk about mission critical leadership and first the whole, you know, the concept of the book and then starting with the four directions of leadership and, and your example of self-leadership? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Liz. And for noticing that theme of initiative, I didn't use that word specifically, but oftentimes I'll have people that are aspiring leaders. You know, they may be early in their career. They may even be getting into their first experience as a supervisor. And people will say, well, how do I get noticed as a leader? And I always come back to that word initiative because leaders go first. Leaders step out. They don't wait for things to happen. They make things happen. And I think that's one of those differentiators where you can stand out. And that's certainly crucial when it comes to self-leadership, one of those four directions that I talk about in mission-critical leadership. The, the concept of mission-critical leadership is even a little broader than the all directions. So my definition that came out of a conversation with my publisher and editor, it was fun during the, the writing experience to have those conversations with my publisher and with my editor. I'll tell you, they were often challenging conversations, and I think that really just not only helped in terms of shaping the book, but they really helped me to get clear on my perspective, my point of view about leadership. And early on, one of the questions was, what's your definition of leadership? And I started spitting out definitions from people like John Maxwell and Ken Blanchard, you know, giants in the space of leadership development and leadership thinking. And it's like, no, John, you've got to have your own definition. And they sent me off. They, it was one of the most uh, challenging parts of writing the book. And what I came back with was this. Mission critical leadership is using influence to build relationships and deliver results in all directions within an organization, accelerating it faster and further toward its mission. And when you break that down, there are a few different components to it. And I'll just talk about them on a high level, and then I'll let you interject where you want to maybe go a little deeper. So there's, it starts with the word influence. Leadership is influence. Yeah. That's John Maxwell's definition. He said, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And that's to distinguish between influence and the relationship and the interaction based uh, on that than, say, a title. Leadership, certainly it's a role and there's a title, there's authority that comes like that. But if you rely solely on that, your leadership is going to be short-lived. 
Then there's the two R's of leadership. You have to both build relationships and deliver results to be successful as a leader. Most leaders are more naturally wired toward one or the other. Some are, are lean really hard in either the direction of relationships or results, but you've got to be able to bring both of that. And so the adaptability, the flexibility that you need as a leader to bring both of those into the, uh, into the equation. The all directions part, uh, leadership is not just being a good boss. You've got to be able to lead up. You've got to be able to lead across. And of course, all leadership starts with self-leadership. And then there's that focus on the mission. You know, the idea of mission critical. My definition, it was not intentional, but it, as I stepped back and looked at it after massaging it to some degree, it was altogether fitting that my definition of leadership starts and ends with the mission. So those are some of the components that fit into my paradigm for leadership, and we call it mission-critical leadership. Yes, that's fabulous. And the concept of mission, too, I know that you're fascinated by space and space exploration. And in your book, you use a lot of examples from different voyages and the, the theme tie-in from your interests that go way back to being mission critical is just really neat and can't be missed with the rocket ship on the front right. really <laughs> accelerating to achieve those results. So that's fabulous. So you talked about the two R's of leadership being results and relationships and needing to have um, influence and that leaders need to be adaptable in order to find a balance of both of those things. And you talked about the four directions and self-leadership is broader than just the example of you taking that initiative to have a upward one-on-one -on -one conversation with the partner at the accounting firm you're part of. Can you expound a bit on self-leadership and when you're talking with whether a leader or someone who's an aspiring leader, how do you encourage them to start with that direction, with the self-leadership direction? Liz, it is it. It is the great place to start because if you think about it, you don't have to be a boss. You don't ever have to be a boss, and yet you still are a leader because you have to lead yourself. And certainly, if you want to be a leader of others, you've got to learn to lead yourself well. And there are so many examples in the marketplace, in education, in the nonprofit world, the entertainment world, where you have individuals who could not lead themselves well and their leadership failed as a result of that. They lost their privilege of leadership in other places. And so I think that's the natural place to start. And I think we need to do a better job even getting into middle school and high school and that concept of self-leadership. And you talked about it being bigger than just initiative, and that certainly is the case. I think self-leadership goes back to where you might say, the starting point comes from in all leadership. And it's that idea of mission, vision, purpose, and values. Having a clear sense of who you are and where you want to go. And so just taking vision as a good starting point. And I use the example in the book of John F. Kennedy's speech, speech to Congress back in 1961 when he declared this goal of landing a man on the moon, bringing him back safely to the earth by the end of the decade. Unfortunately, he wasn't around to see that come to reality, but it's a real powerful example of vision. And, you know, Yogi Berra, who's this uh, baseball 
Hall of Famer, manager, had this interesting way of using the English language. And I love the way that he said this, although I don't know if he was necessarily talking about vision specifically or where the context was. He said, if you don't know where you're going, you'll probably end up someplace else. Right. <laughs> and there's so much truth to that. So getting clear on vision, and I had that clarity of my vision when I approached my then boss about the idea yeah. of what, what was my vision for my career and how did it fit into that firm. And so whatever that is, having that clarity about where you want to go. Now, realizing that you know we might have 2020 hindsight, almost nobody has 2020 foresight because there's so many things that can change. But you can put a post in the ground, you can put a stake somewhere out there on the horizon, three years out, five years out. One leader who I was working with said, you know, I can see somewhat to the point when my youngest child graduates from high school. Get beyond that and it's really fuzzy. And so she formulated her personal vision around that point when her youngest child was gonna graduate from high school. So, you know, it, it, there's nothing really magical about that, but you know, another way to look at vision, you can ask the question, where are you going? Also, yeah. what do you see? You know, you put some stake in the ground, you look out on the calendar, to some year down the road and you can start to envision what life is going to look like. So having that sense of vision, certainly the purpose, why is that vision important to you? The mission is more about how are you going to get there and your values govern the way that you're going to conduct yourself, the way that you're going to act, the filters through which you're going to make decisions as you travel that pathway. So I think that having that strong personal foundation is the starting point for self-leadership. And then there are any number of self-leadership practices that you can use to navigate that pathway uh, as you continue to move further down the road. That's excellent. And I think we could spend the whole time going further on self-leadership, but there's three other directions I wanna make sure we have time for. And in the section of your book where you talk about peer-to-peer -peer leadership, you covered the three C's of leading peers, character, competency, and chemistry. So for those who are in an organization working, whether it's a corporation and they're a finance manager working with marketing and sales and operations, or whether they're part of an accounting firm and maybe they're on the audit practice and they're needing to work with the uh, tax side and the technology side of their firm, Talk to us about what those three C's mean for having strong relationships and leading within the peer relationships. The, that, that whole area is the most complex form of leadership. So I think it's often underrated as well as just un, unseen. It's not recognized as being leadership. And again, if you think about it, everyone, regardless of what their role, their title, their position, uh, where they fall on the organizational hierarchy is going to have to lead peer to peer, colleague to colleague. And if you and I were peers in an organization, let's just say, for example, that uh, I was the VP of marketing and you were the VP of finance, I can't just walk in and say, well, Liz, I need you to do this, this and this and have it done for me by tomorrow, because you could easily look at back, back at me and say the words that I often heard growing up as the oldest child in the family you're not the boss of me. Uh. There's no role power there. You know, there's not a, an authority because we are truly peers. I'm not the boss of you. You're not the boss of me. And so 
it comes back to trust and influence and all those things that you need to build those healthy working relationships. And those three C's that you mentioned, character, competency, and chemistry, they're really true of all forms of leadership. But the reason I highlighted them in the peer-to-peer -peer world is that, you know, that character shines through when you're working peer-to-peer -peer because oftentimes peer-to-peer in those relationships, people don't have the same depth of experience with you as your boss, who you there's a good chance that you are interacting with your boss every day in the workplace or almost every day. And so he or she gets to know you at a deeper level. They see more firsthand your performance. And then the same thing is true the way that you relate to your team. You know, there's a much more day-to-day -day experience there where there's perhaps more room for grace when you uh, stumble along the way or where you make mistakes. A lot of those peer-to-peer -peer relationships may be much more occasional. The bigger the organization, the more likely it is that you'll have peer-to-peer -peer interactions that are very sporadic or very infrequent. And so you you have less of a chance to clean up after yourself, so to speak, and you've got to be able to, to shine through that. So that character, you know, proving yourself trustworthy, proving yourself as somebody that people can rely on, that reliability, and that, uh, you know, you walk the talk, you're going to follow through on your commitments. Competency, proving that you can do the job. You know, if you can't follow through and actually get the job done, whether it's because you lack skills, you lack the knowledge, uh, you don't, uh, you know, get yourself organized in a way that you can complete the task on time, that lack of competency can erode that peer-to-peer -peer relationship. And then, of course, the chemistry. You know, that's where that relationship side comes in handy, getting to know people, having that respect and that rapport that goes beyond just, hey, Liz, here's what you can do for me. Here's what I can do for you. We develop that trusting relationship because we get to know each other at a deeper level. And we have that sense of, uh, you know, Liz, you're a real person with your own goals and your own family and your own hobbies and life outside of work. And same thing for me. And, and that just adds a little of that, you know, that chemistry or that glue that strengthens that working relationship. Absolutely. It is always... I find so rewarding and fulfilling and meaningful to get to know the people that I work with a little better. It's hard to have team chemistry if you don't know, you know, where someone is, whether it's um, their hobbies or whether it's what their kids are up to or whether it's, you know, someone who really enjoys traveling and they're planning ahead for that next vacation. It's such an enjoyable experience at work to be able to have those conversations first and experience the joy that some of that chemistry can bring. So we've talked about two directions of leadership, self-leadership, peer, peer leadership, so leading across. And in the example that you had provided about yourself earlier in your career, which I think is part self-leadership, it's also part of another kind of leadership, right? Which is leading up that's the part of leadership you say that we will all spend our entire careers leading up. And you initiated a conversation, which was partially self-leadership, but also a big part of that was upward leadership, initiating conversation with your the partner in the firm to open up a conversation. And so talk about leading up. Leading up is, a, it's both art and science. There's 
a huge need for trust. You're boss or your superiors need to be able to trust you with this unwavering trust. And that can be a challenge to build. And it's uh, always fun when I'm in a training session or doing a presentation and get people talking about what are some of the keys to building trust with your boss. Because it's only through that trust that you gain the credibility to lead up. And when I say leading up, it, that that's really the way that you get what you want, what you need, what your team needs. You know, that can be anything from the resources that you need to complete a project. It can be anything towards staying on track toward a promotion that you might desire, or getting opportunities for those stretch assignments that will give you exposure into new areas. And so I think you know, proving yourself faithful. You know, it's uh, that just consistent blocking and tackling, you know, hitting those singles and doubles and, you know, doing the, the fundamentals well where your boss can gain that trust and confidence in you. And, and then I think the other part of that is just being prepared always with ideas and suggestions to make the organization better, to make the team or your department that you work in better. Uh, you know, getting on the solution side, it can be real easy to focus on the problems and the challenges and you know, right. So to the extent possible, when you can bring ideas to the table and then just show what you're doing in, in that area. One of the aspects of that that I talk about in the book is the ability to make the business case where yes. you've got ideas, you've got uh, you know, proposals or recommendations, changes that you want to make and being able to show that this is good for the business and yes. that you've done the due diligence to get to that point where you can ask your boss or other superiors to support that initiative or to throw resources that way. And I think oftentimes it's real easy to go in and just say, well, here's what I want, here's what I need, but how do you show that this is good for the team, it's good for the organization as a, as a whole? So there are a lot of different aspects to leading up. Um, one trap that people can fall into is thinking that upward leadership is about being a yes man or a yes woman. Uh, and that's not true because at times you've got to have this uh, candid conversation. You know, and I, I, I talk about being respectfully candid. You know, yes. it's the idea that you're not going in, you know, kind of with your tail between your legs, uh, you know, from a position where you're you're shaking a little bit and it's like, no, you're going in with confidence for the position, but not going in guns blazing, like this is what I need, this is what's got to happen. And so I think it's really important to have that respectful approach, but then to be candid in the way that you enter that conversation. Honestly, it's going to be a lot easier for you to be candid if you've built that trust with your boss where you can have that rapport in the conversation. There's a couple examples that come to mind tying together what you're talking about, building the trust, doing doing your little perfectly, doing the fundamentals, doing the basics, and then building up to saying, here's the here's a challenge I'm facing and here's a potential solution. So a couple examples that come to my mind might be um, an audit associate or an audit senior, maybe even audit manager, who's really struggling with the PVC list, like the document request list. So they might first do everything they can to get the current process in its current form as best as possible and do that as well as they can. And once they've gotten the process down, then they might go to their partner and say, 
this is a challenge our team is facing. We have optimized it as best as possible. We are executing on this as well as we possibly can. Here's this tool that we believe could be a solution and that can help us get from where we are to where we would like to be. That kind of ties together doing the fundamentals and building trust with the little things, which are also the big things, and opening a door to introduce a broader solution that could help to further eliminate pain points. And on the corporate side, something that falls in line, as you said, with fundamentals would be balance sheet account reconciliations. Okay, making sure that the current balance sheet account recs are documented as well as they possibly can be before going to the controller to say, we are swimming in spreadsheets and having a very large struggle trying to open and close 50 documents every single month to sign off and to approve. Here's a solution we'd like to introduce. But before coming with a problem to say this is awful or we want to you know, throw resources at a solution, getting those fundamentals secure and sound first. So those are a couple examples that strike me as someone might find themselves in an upward leadership position to introduce some solutions like this. Great examples, Liz, and I think uh, you covered it really well and that whole idea of process improvement. Uh, there's a skill to it, there's an art to it. It actually starts with a mindset and I think that's where you can bring value is that you're always looking for ways to make things better but then having the ability when you approach your supervisor, when you approach uh, your boss with some idea, you know, how are you going to sell that? And part of that starts with showing the pain points. You know, what is the cost of just keeping things the same and not making any change, not making any improvement? And then working through from there, you know, the alternatives that you explored to make the situation better. And why did you land on the one that you want to suggest? You know, what are the costs of implementing a solution like that? How are you going to measure success? And I, I think just doing your homework, your due diligence on that, and it, uh, it talks about that in the book, but I've also got an article that I'd be glad to share with anybody who's listening. It's, it's a step-by-step -step approach that you can use to make the business case for your suggestions. Let's see if we can get that in the show notes. Absolutely. So we have one more element left, one more direction to cover. And that's the one that we most commonly think of, right? Leading down. Yeah, leading down, being the boss, supervising, leading a team. There's so much about that already out there in the marketplace. And that was one of the reasons why when someone suggested I write a book on leadership, I went to this leadership in all directions comment because I feel like there's so many good things out there already being said about being a good boss. A couple of things that are coming up for me that are really unique, I think, to this season that we're in, and this even goes beyond some of what it talks about in the book, going back to this idea of the mission, one of the challenges that I'm finding now, and it's come up often, I'd say even going back to the first of this year, it's been a pattern that I've seen where leaders are having a hard time connecting the dots between their vision and even their strategy with their teams to the point where people really get it. They understand the part that they play in moving toward the vision and accomplishing that strategic plan. And so I think that uh, from a leadership standpoint, when it comes to leading down to your team and cascading down, people who are leader of leaders at an executive level may need to see this work all the way down through the different levels in the organization. 
helping people to see the unique role, the unique contribution that they can make to the mission, to the vision, to the strategy that you're working on right now. You take the average strategic plan, there are several initiatives that are there. Not every one of those initiatives may apply to every person or every, even every team or department within the organization, but chances are every person has some part to play in at least one aspect of that strategic plan. So I think from a leadership standpoint, connecting the dots there, and not just from a tactical standpoint and connecting to those strategic initiatives and the tasks that you need to perform or the projects that are involved, but helping people see the impact, helping people see the meaning behind the work. One of the things that we know about early career workers, and I think this is true of everyone, we just know that it's a little more pronounced with say the 20s and 30s somethings that are in the workplace is this desire to make a contribution, this desire to know that there's meaning in my work. It's not just completing a task for the sake of completing a task, but what's the impact of that gonna be? So I think there's a, a lot of value for those leaders that have the ability to connect the dots and help their teams and the individuals on those teams see the connection to the greater good that the organization is doing. So I think that's one aspect of, of leading down, being a good boss that is, uh, is often overlooked. Another one that I'm seeing come up often as a big challenge today is just clarity in communication. There are so many communication breakdowns and the reality, Liz, is this has always been the case. That's uh, like the Achilles heel of organizational life seems to right. always come back to communication which I find odd because we've never been in a season or a, a phase in society where we've had more vehicles for communication. The technology is there and yet right. the breakdowns are so significant. And so just that clarity in making sure people understand that there's uh, you know, the, 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 the optimum when it comes to communication, that there is shared meaning, shared understanding. It's not just volleying messages back and forth, but that shared understanding, that shared meaning, and even the shared expectations that come out of that. The only way that you get that is with clarity. There's responsibility on both sides. The leader is responsible to provide clarity, but right. the team member is also responsible to seek out that clarity, to ask questions, to ensure that that clarity is there. I think one of the reasons it's so much more challenging today is because we've got so much remote and hybrid work. And you know, obviously the, that, that could be a whole nother conversation at another time. Yeah. But I think that those environments just make it that much more challenging to have that clarity. So the intentionality that leaders need to have to provide that clarity, to confirm that the clarity is there, and even to double back at times to make sure that there's not leakage in the communication. So uh, I think those are two aspects of leading a team that I would highlight today as being so much more important than ever before. Absolutely. And you had included a small section in your book specifically addressing virtual leadership and some of the key attributes that you thought were very critical for that. And some of them that come to my mind. It one was empathy, clear communication, clarity in that message. And there were a few others as well to help those who are managing hybrid teams. 
Yeah, and Liz, that uh, whole area continues to evolve. The book was written largely during the pandemic in 2020, published in 2021. And it's interesting because you go back, that's two and a half years ago. And I'm still saying, I said this in a conference presentation earlier this week, that I still believe that we are closer to the front end, the genesis of these new workplace models, than we are to the to the back end of that, to where we see something settle down. So this is always evolving, always changing. And I think that uh, you know the challenges are, are just so dynamic and the intentionality that you need as a leader when you're leading in that environment. As we kind of round out the leading down direction, you had shared three different types of leadership styles that autocratic or authoritarian leadership democratic or participative leadership, or this like laissez-faire delegating leadership style. And I thought that it was helpful that you highlighted the three to compare and contrast and defining the democratic or participative leadership style as the leader makes the decision after obtaining input from others. So not so much hands off that the leader's not actually driving the mission, but not so hands-on that it's command and control. And imagine that's a hard balance for leaders to find, but an important one to recognize the differences there. It really is, it's a dance that you have to do as a leader. It's not that those other forms of leadership are bad, even though some of the terminology you might feel like, okay, there's a negative connotation there because there are times where you have to be highly directive and you don't have time to get input from the team and you need to be much more of that directive leader where you make the decision, you move forward and there's not a lot of time. You know, certainly in a crisis situation you would see that to be the case. On the other extreme, the hands-off, the laissez-faire is the literal, uh, you know, the, the literal meaning of that is hands-off. That may be appropriate where you've gotten to a place where you've got a team that you've got a lot of confidence in. There's an empowerment factor there where you can delegate, let it go, let them go uh, down that road of making the decision themselves. Most often, though, you're somewhere in between the two ends of that continuum, and that's that participative leadership. And we talk a lot right now in this uh, in this era about employee engagement, something that Gallup or the Gallup organization measures on a regular basis. And it's, it's really an important factor because it drives so many other business results. One of the big one being retention versus turnover within your team. And so one way to elevate, to increase the level of engagement with your team is that you go to them and you get their input, you get their feedback, you get their involvement in the discussions. And there needs to be some clarity there as to what role that you're asking them to play. Are you just asking for input? Or at the end of the day, do they actually get to vote on the decision that's being made? So having right. some clarity on that on the front end, I think, can be really helpful. But the more that you reach out to get input, to get ideas from your team, the more engaged they are. And if you think about that, Liz, you know, that's that's fairly natural. You know, if you were one of my team members and there was some significant challenge that we were dealing with or a big project that was coming up and I pulled you aside and said, you know, hey, Liz, we've got this coming up uh, 
you know, on the near horizon, I'd like to get your input. I'd like you to get some of your ideas on how we could effectively move into that new initiative. Well, you're going to stand up a little straighter and you're going to go, oh, this is awesome. Yeah, I feel like absolutely. my boss or even a colleague up here feels like I have something to offer. And so it creates that affinity and an engagement. Well, John, we are ready for the lightning round. So what is the one piece of encouragement you would offer to CPAs, accountants, finance professionals? My one word of encouragement there, maybe it's more than one word, but uh, it's opportunity for impact. I think I that, that you have a tremendous opportunity for impact, whether your customers or clients are external, like on the public side, or they're internal. You can be that trusted advisor value partner, whatever you want to call it. Fabulous. And a projection, looking ahead to the future of the profession, what's a projection that you have? This might be more pertinent or more specific to the public accounting side, but I think firms are going to figure out some of the spikes in hours that uh, come from the seasonality, that just that nature of the accounting world that maybe not happen to the same extent in industry, but there are still some of that that takes place. And it's going to be part of this capacity management, you know, balancing out the basics of supply and demand between labor and the work that needs to get done. And it's going to require disruptive change as opposed to incremental change. I think those firms and those organizations that figure that out are going to have a very significant competitive advantage over others. Well, that's an excellent projection and also another word of encouragement as well. So for those leaders who are thinking about this problem, if it's keeping you up at night, then call John. He will be your champion to encourage you that it's possible. And this is a projection that this will be something that will be at least solved in a way that will bring us a significant improvement to what those of us like me, probably you, who have been up until two, three, four in the morning working on audits. So we just have really enjoyed this conversation, John. It's been really relatable. I just appreciate your authenticity, your heart, your passion for leadership and connecting with others. And I know you speak on stages across the country and even sometimes travel internationally to share the message about mission critical leadership. So thank you for taking the time to be on the Encorsa podcast today. Absolutely. Always enjoy our conversations, Liz. Likewise. We'll take care, John, and we'll talk to you soon. As you reflect on the conversation with John, I hope you feel inspired to take initiative to own your career. May you refine ways to lead yourself well. May you feel empowered to advocate for yourself. May you recognize the positive impact you can have on others through your own mission-critical leadership. Thanks for joining us today. For those who would like to earn CPE credit for listening, each of our podcasts are accompanied by a self-study course on Encorsa.com. A link to this course is included in the show notes below. We also included a link to our free inaugural episode if you would like to try Encorsa out. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe to the show, tell your colleagues, and leave us a review. Our goal is to provide encouragement in every course. Until next time, I wish you nothing but the best.